Going Linux, episode 355, Moving from Windows to Linux, part 2. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you find this and all our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. In today's episode, part two of Moving from Windows to Linux. Hi, Bill. Hello, Larry. How are you? I am doing well, except for the announcement by Google that Google Plus will be shutting down. We don't know exactly when or what will happen or how it will happen, but we know that our forums will no longer be functional when they do that because we rely <laughs> on Google Plus. <laughs> well, we are looking at some other services to replace them already. You know, we are already proactive because we would not want to... <laughs> One moment have Google Plus, and then, oh, we're closing today. Yeah, so. exactly, which is kind of classic for what they're doing. And I've downloaded yes. all of the content from our Google Plus site that I could get my hands on. For some reason, since we're sitting here in October recording this, it will not download the October posts. It'll download everything before that. So what I'm hoping is... When the calendar clicks over to November, it'll give me the October posts, and then we can discontinue use at that point. Uh, but until then, we'll just keep using Google Plus until it either falls apart or we have we have a replacement. How's that? It sounds like a, a plan. Uh, I guess that's the only plan that we have right now. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, we took a risk uh, setting up the forums on a site like Google Plus, and yeah, it's come back to bite us. So. Hey, um, we we knew the risks going into it, and this was them. <laughs> yes, what do you expect from a free service? Okay, I'm just yes. saying. And so, exactly. I'm so glad that the rest of the software that we use isn't free, like Linux or LibreOffice. Or oh, wait a minute, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> yes, a whole different thing. It's, it's no one's going to come to your house, Larry, and say, "Give me your Linux box." Right. Exactly. It's not. Uh, completely supported and uh, authored and you know maintained by just one proprietary company with revenue in mind as the yes. sole you know as the primary uh, function so anyway um <laughs> all, all, yeah there's definitely a difference between the google plus kind of free and the linux kind of free yes one of the main differences is google plus kind of free can go away and it did so there you yeah. go but that's but that's okay, you know. We we are on top of it, so we're going to uh, uh, cover uh, our next part of moving from Windows to Linux today. We are, and before we get into the Windows side of things, I'd like to just make an additional comment about a company that recommends Windows for their computers. It says okay. so right on their website on every page, including those pages where. You are ordering a one of their computers with Linux on it. They say Dell recommends Windows. So anyway, <laughs> Dell. Oh, okay. Um, since I have an XPS 13, 
And I love it. I have uh, Ubuntu Mate installed on it. Um, I have um, a subscription to the Dell Advertising Magazine. Not so much a subscription as I get pushed it in the mail to me every every time they have a sale. Anyway, it's a uh, small business edition of their flyer. And I noticed this time around, since our topic is Windows, that not only does it say on page 2... Uh, Dell recommends Windows 10 Pro. Um, it, it, they start on page two. The entire edition of this flyer is focusing on security. And as we know, historically, Windows has been the least secure operating system system out there as far as the, the, the most popular operating systems. And on page two, they... I'm just going to read a little bit from their flyer here. It says, make security a priority. Uh, mounting cyber threats mean that you have to do more to protect your valuable data and that of your customers from debilitating attacks. Start by choosing the business computers with built-in security features like oh. these. And then jump to page two for additional security recommendations. So um, when you jump to page two, it happens to be a two-page ad uh, to, to page four. Uh, when you jump to page four, it happens to be a two-page ad for McAfee. Oh, really? <laughs> and and okay. Dell, yes, and Dell has added uh, this to the McAfee ad. It says, arm your business against cyber threats. I'm just going to read a little bit from here. Kind of gives you an indication of the focus of hardware manufacturers that sell uh, or provide windows on their hardware. The first is a uh, paragraph that's part of their ad copy. It says, you worked hard to build your business and amass your data assets. Now you need to safeguard them. Find all the tools you need to prevent attacks and recover from them. In other words, they are assuming you will get attacked and sub, you know submit to the attack and get, you know, <laughs> get infected in some way. I do that all the time. Yeah, with our security-driven portfolio of hardware, software, and accessories. And then there's a quote from a small business technology advisor. I don't know whether this is one of their employees or not, but it says, gives his name and says that he's a small business technology advisor. It says, once you get hit by a cyber attack, you can quickly turn into a believer in preventive measures. And then another... Um, quote from the training program manager at McAfee and she says 71% of attacks are targeting small businesses and over 50% of small businesses have been attacked uh, and then it goes on and on and on and talks about you know how you can order McAfee when you order your Dell computer uh, and then as they're advertising each of the bits of hardware they're talking about the security and, and built into the processors and encryption and this trusted platform module TPM, they've got TPM version two built in. And of course, TPM is from the trusted computer computing group uh, and was formed by AMD, HP, IBM, Intel, and Microsoft. Uh, so um, back in 2003, and they are the um, uh, some of the companies that are bringing us such wonderful things as... Uh, you know, secure boot and things like that. Not, not that TPM is exactly secure boot, but 
you get the idea. Point is, there's a lot of effort going into uh, filling the holes in windows with things that are outside of windows that are specifically created to fill those holes around security. Uh, so, with it, with and the the point here is that with Linux, it's much, much, much less of a concern. Uh, most Linux users run, uh, desktop users run without any sort of virus scanning because virus scanners scan for Windows viruses because essentially there aren't any for Linux. Not that there have never been, but there aren't any out in the wild on a regular basis like there are for Windows and they're not being created by the thousands and tens of thousands like they are for, for Windows. So just as we talk about moving from Windows to Linux, this whole aspect of security, this whole focus of Dell's advertising this month for their small business ad flyer is focused on something that is a minimal concern when you move to Linux. Well, all right. Yeah, well, you know, you really don't have to worry about uh, that data because um, from what I heard on Windows uh, Weekly, uh, that's Leo Laporte's podcast network, uh, the latest uh, rollout had some problems in some people, and they said, well, it only affected like 1%, but when you have, what, 300 billion, you know, 1% of 300 <laughs> billion still, you know, they actually had – numbers. Yeah, big numbers. Certain things you had to have certain things that uh, would cause uh, this this data loss. Well, apparently, uh, um, people lost huge amounts of data, um, and so yeah, you don't have to worry about uh, hackers getting your uh, your your data. The operating system will get rid of it for you. I mean, for you mm -hmm. know, no 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 problem. Now, I'm not saying this couldn't happen on. Um, Linux, but I will say that most people that have been using Linux for a little while are, you know, I would say a cut above uh, the average uh, users. But I, I just found it kind of humorous that uh, they this thing, according to the hosts of the po that podcast, said, "Hey, you know, they were reporting it and they still pushed out," and, and but it's not a big deal. They went ahead; they didn't put, roll it back. They just paused it <laughs> yeah. until – so, you know, when you have such a huge market, you know, 1% or even a half percent of, you know, what – however many billions is still a pretty big number. So Windows, Windows has a problem. I mean, a lot, you know, we've talked about the uh, the telemetry, and I'm, I'm sure there's telemetry built into our phones and everything, so I'm not I'm – not, that naive to think that you know Google is not tracking me with our or Android phones and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know I we we had a whole debate about whether uh, what kind of telemetry it's sending if it's, if Windows is use is being used on um, you know medical devices and stuff. And frankly, if I have a machine you know you know giving me medicine i really would not want any it run my microsoft operating system uh and that's kind of how i judge it would i trust it to run uh it, to keep me alive no i'd rather have linux or something but you know being silly here but uh w you know with this this rapid um 
updating they're doing twice a year, and these are major feature uh, updates. Basically, uh, it's a whole new system. They're, it's not just adding. They, they're going completely through it, uh, and they keep adding stuff. And, you know, their their idea, which I really irritated me, is, um, you know, if you have the home edition of Windows 10, you can only, uh, I think, postpone it so many times for so long. But they want they they're basically you're the guinea pig for the enterprise people, you know, because yes, they have a lot of people. What's it called? It's Microsoft Insiders, which test it, but that's only millions. There's so many different configurations mm-hmm. um, that you know, the sooner they can push it out to the home users, then then they can say, okay, uh, well that's a problem. We need to fix that because as we typically know. Enterprise does not move very fast. They don't like moving fast. They like stability and things that are proven. Uh, my company that I work for, you know, they, the IT people get kind of crazy if you try to do install anything that's not approved by them or, right. or yeah, they, they keep a close eye on it. And I'm sure any major corporation is not going to say, oh, that's a new update. Let's go ahead and roll that out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, Let's just wait. Yeah, let's just <laughs> so, wait. And they and they like to wait years. They don't like. I mean, it's like okay, Microsoft. We're going to push all this out to our regular users because our enterprise and in their mind, the enterprise compute uh, users are more important than home users. And you know, so because that's where yeah. they make all that big money of volume licensing and stuff. So enough about Microsoft. Right. But you know, I don't like being anybody's guinea pig. I, you know, if I I like to eat my own dog food sort of thing. I don't like to eat other people's dog food before I've uh, made sure I like it. <laughs> so if I mess <laughs> up, it's my fault. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's stop talking about Microsoft and let's talk about Microsoft. Yeah, I was Windows. getting tension, uh, <laughs> a tension headache here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So okay. in this part, we're going to be talking about getting things, in, uh, you know, once you've had everything installed, you've gotten the image and you've burned it and now it's usable. And we've talked about how you can install the system. And, you know, we also covered about how to save important files. So let's pick, kind of pick up from there. Okay. Yeah, we can do that. And uh, so uh, let's say I've installed a system and uh, while it's got some base software installed, what's the next step after we've installed Linux? Okay, so you've got it installed. You've got a just a very vanilla install. So I would re- recommend checking for updates. As one of the very first things you do, so you can see if anything new, latest or greatest has come out uh, since that image was uh, spun up by the the distro. And uh, when you uh, were doing the install, it probably prompted you for an internet connection. And if you had connected during install, you should still uh, have a connection because it remembers all your credentials. 99% 99% of the time. So after you do that, in your menu, and it depends kind of on your distribution, it's in a little different places. If you're running Ubuntu Mate or Linux Mint or Fedora or uh, Sabian, so you might have to look around. Things might be named a little differently. It just kind of depends. But in your menu, uh, you should find an application called like 
update manager. That's what it is in Linux Mint. And go ahead and get and get the updates for your system. Right. Absolutely. And um, how how getting updates after installation is implemented varies a little bit from distribution to distribution. Uh, you mentioned how it's done in in Linux Mint, uh, in Ubuntu Mate, it's done a very similar way. It asks you when you're in the installation process, do you want to download the updates uh, immediately after install? And that's just a little checkbox that you check. And if you check that box, it will make those updates for you. If you don't, you can always go back into the software updater and uh, do the updates afterwards. And we had a question from one of our listeners uh, recently around if I install from a USB or CD or DVD, um, can I install without an internet connection? And yes, you can. And you just install, it'll install that base system for you. And then once you have an internet connection, after you've installed and gotten your Wi-Fi working or your network connection working, then you go into the software updater and get the get the updates and then you're back up to the most recent security patches and software updates and application updates and so on. So you can do it without a connection, but it's much, much easier if you have a connection while you're installing. Just do it while you're installing or immediately afterwards so that as you continue to install the applications you want to run or just run the applications you want to run that you're using the latest version with the latest security patches and so on. Yeah. I, I was just going to mention that you know, Linux Mint also says, you know, look for updates as while, while installing. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can tell it, yeah, go ahead and get the updates. But I, after even done that, I've went and found two or three updates since the last one. So that's why I always like to, you know, go ahead and update. You know, apply the updates as the install. But I also like to look again. And sometimes it's only one or two little things. It just depends on if it's been pushed to those servers that provide the updates for the installation. Because you know, but uh, it doesn't hurt to go ahead and just check. And sometimes there's one file. Sometimes I've, I've got uh, gotten you know five or six. And so, but I, I, I reason I do that is that you might have hardware that uh that they say oh we've got a new driver but they haven't pushed it to the to the uh the servers that provide updates when you're installing and you know an example would be like what larry uh graphics card uh yeah some some of the proprietary uh drivers and so on like graphics card drivers might not be on the installation servers and so you may need to go get those after the fact. And if it happens to be a network adapter driver, that can be a bit of a pain. Uh, if uh, if the driver isn't there while you're installing and it's not installed after you've installed, how do you get connected to the network to go get that driver? And of course, you know, that that's one of those very tough situations where you either have to get a USB-based connection to the internet, um, which you can do um, with an adapter and so on, or you have to download the updates from a separate computer and then install them on your computer afterwards. But 
for the most part, that's not an issue. Uh, hopefully you're not the one in a very, very, very few that have that problem when you're installing. And typically if you do, you're installing on either a, a very old computer or a computer that wasn't designed with Linux compatibility in mind and is using some sort of proprietary driver. So if you have, say, an NVIDIA a graphics card or a chip by AMD, you can look for a driver manager. Um, most Ubuntu-based distributions have that built in, uh, and other distributions, of course, do as well. Not all of them, but you can get the latest drivers for your card. And if you don't see the one that you might need, uh, go to the distributions forums and see how it's done. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, uh, machines that that have uh, like a car, uh, a chipset for like most of them are seem to be uh, Intel based. Uh, Intel's really well supported on Linux, uh, so a lot of times it will default to the uh, Intel based chipset that's sitting on your motherboard and you have to get the update to act to be able to use your nvidia and that's that kind of applies to me uh, when i install it everything works it looks great but it's using the intel based chipset until i go and say oh i want to get an nvidia driver and i want to use that and then i get all the the whiz bang stuff so Right. Yeah. And I had a, an older computer. It was um, an HP DM4, I think, that had dual graphics drivers, Intel and I think it was AMD. And I don't use my computers for gaming. So I found <sighs> the Intel-based drivers just fine. So I never bothered installing the AMD drivers because the Intel drivers work just fine for average everyday computing. So, uh, of course, these days with 4K displays and things like that, you want to get the best out of it you can. So lots of different ways to get it, and each distribution handles it a little bit differently. Uh, some uh, Linux distributions that are anti-proprietary, let's just put it that way, uh, do not give you any sort of guidance on how to use proprietary hardware. And... What you will find, though, on those that are a little more pragmatic as far as Linux distributions go, who realize that many people are not going to stick completely with uh, open source, free, uh, free as in freedom software, uh, will offer ways to not only download and install the proprietary chips like NVIDIA chips and so on, but also have give you access out of the box to installing those without jumping through a whole bunch of hoops. It's it's a checkbox or it's a select this driver kind of thing as you're setting up your computer. Yeah, I like those easy checkboxes, but that's just me. Yeah, ah. that's why we recommend Linux Mint and Ubuntu Mate. <laughs> yes. So once you've updated... You've got all your updates and plus any drivers that you needed. Now the fun starts. We need to get your files back. Now we've already covered how to save them. Now we're talking about how to, we can put them back so we can use them. If you use something like Dropbox, then you can just download the application, sign in, and your files will be automatically downloaded to your computer 
but if you used a USB key or a USB hard drive or something along those lines, you can insert the key drive or the USB drive into a USB port and then paste and copy the files back to your selected folders. Any tips about this, Larry? Yeah, so on that USB key or USB drive where you've made your backup and you're copying the files over, please copy them. Don't cut and paste, copy and paste, uh, because if you move them, which is the cut and paste, uh, so if you move rather than copy, if something goes wrong during the transfer, uh, they're no longer on the backup drive. So you want to keep that as your master copy until you've actually got it over on your hard drive of the computer you're installing on. So that it's just safer to do it that way. And maybe it goes without saying, but hey, it's uh, just a little safety tip. Uh, yeah. Bitter personal experience, let's say. <laughs> Did you just say bitter personal experience? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, now that we've got the files restored, you've got them moved to the folders you want. And keep in mind that this step can take uh, some time, or it could be very fast. It just depends on the number of files that you have. So, if you have lots of pictures, it might take a while. So, get it started, go make a cup of coffee, and let the machine do its work. Um, yeah, the the speed also depends on... The speed the drive. of the, the the drive, the speed of the interface. So if you're using a USB 1.0 port, it's going to take a lot longer than the <laughs> USB 3 port, for example. So a lot of different factors there. Just be patient. Yeah. yeah, be patient and you know just do the paste and copy, and you'll get you all your stuff. It might take a little while, but uh, then once we've got those files. Uh, we need to see about getting some vacations so we can work, or in my case, play with your new system. Now, mm -hmm. the, the systems do come with a lot, but we're going to go over a few uh, things that we might uh, suggest that you use until you find something you like better. The great thing about Linux is there's lots and lots and lots and lots of choices. Something that I like, you might not like, and we're, like I said, we're just kind of trying to pick... I wouldn't say the best of breed, but stuff that works really well for us and we think would work well for you. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Larry and let him cover the, one of the most important things on how you, uh, as far as how you uh, get information from the interwebs. So Larry? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so connecting to the internet has become one of the most important things you do on your computer these days. Uh, and for people switching for the first time from Windows to Linux, I would recommend that you just use the browser that came with your distribution to start with. You can always download something else you prefer later on, uh, but the Linux distributions will provide a browser already pre-installed. It's not going to be Microsoft Edge. Uh, that's oh, that's one thing. thing. Or Did you have to say that? Oh, okay. And it won't be uh, Apple's Safari because those are both very, very proprietary. They're only offered on those uh, Microsoft or Apple computers. They're not, they don't make browsers available for other operating systems or even for each other's operating system. Just doesn't work, I don't think. Maybe there's an edge for, for Macintosh <laughs> or iOS or oh, something. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, uh, sorry for keeping bringing that up. But this is an episode about. Windows and 
moving and Edge is part of it. So anyway, uh, start with the browser that comes with your operating system. And I've found these days, most Linux distributions have settled on Firefox as the standard browser to offer out of the box. Uh, there are plenty of other browser choices out there. Some open source, some not so open source, like Chrome is one of the not so open source versions, but a version that is open source that is like Chrome is called Chromium. And you can look at other browsers if you want, like uh, uh, Opera and some that are far less well known, like Midori. Or links the Dory browser or links. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, if you <laughs> no really pictures there, you can use links. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, lots of different possibilities. But if you're just getting started, use the one that came with your Linux distribution. See how you like it. And in fact, if you've been using Firefox on your Windows system that you're moving from, you'll see that Firefox is functionally. Uh, the same on Linux, so you'll be right at home. Or if you've been using Chrome on Windows because you don't like, I won't say it again, but the one that comes <laughs> on Windows. Uh, if you don't like that, you may already have downloaded Chrome, and Chrome is the same on Linux as it is on Windows or anywhere else. So lots of different possibilities, um, even those that are a little more esoteric. So yeah, there you go. Well, I usually I, I usually follow that advice for about uh, ten minutes and then go and download Chrome because I use Chrome at work and I use Chrome uh, um, so at home uh, when I was running the W operating system and uh, so oh, we I've can got say a lot Windows. Of, this uh, we okay. said Windows. Uh, okay, <laughs> so the Windows operating system. Uh, so. Uh, Chrome has, you know, all my sites and my favorites. So it, it's not the most open, uh, open source one. Actually, it's not open source yeah, with all their stuff. Well, I'm sure there's uh, open source elements. Anyway, uh, I, I like Chrome. I just like the way it works. Uh, but you don't have to. Firefox is perfectly usable. So enough of that. So. Yeah. How about Office Suites? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Office Suites. Yeah, well, I don't. I, I just use what comes. LibreOffice is just so good that yeah. I'm not saying it's the only one, but uh, LibreOffice I actually have done work. Uh, you uh, in in it uh, in where I work is all Windows based, so I really haven't had any issues except with some really weird uh, proprietary Excel macros or that they use. So I, I do have to uh, sometimes uh, use a Windows computer that they've assigned me to do some of that stuff. But I'd say 95% of what I do, I do most of it right on my Linux box. Now, one of the things that I find I use a lot. <laughs> I know it sounds weird. Is sometimes I just don't need a whole office suite. I just want a Notepad replacement. Mm -hmm. uh, and I use Note, you know, a lot of Notepad. Uh, I used to use lots of uh, uh, Notepad to make a lot of notes for reports and stuff, just because it's it was lighter and quicker, and it just the way I worked. Some people will probably say I work really weird, but it works for me. Uh, <laughs> so. I found a few that uh, you know they have no pet functions or they're multi-use, 
and some of them are Kate, which and everybody's like, you use Kate? But isn't that on KDE? Yes, when I was running KDE, I kind of fell in love with Kate. And so mm-hmm. I, I've been using Kate, but I've been also found one called Adam. And mm-hmm. then very recently I found one called LeafPad, and it is so close to where I used to use it. I'm kind of gravitating toward LeafPad because it's just almost exactly what I was using before. It's like – all the great features without uh, all the stuff I don't need. So uh, there's right. three right there, uh, Kate, Adam, and LeafPad. I would say um, unless you have some reason you just don't like it, uh, LibreOffice just works well. Yeah, exactly. So if you need a word processor and a spreadsheet and presentation software and diagramming software and all of those kinds of things that comes in an Office suite – LibreOffice is usually what's installed on most Linux distributions. It has all of that and more, and it is uh, cross-platform. It is no charge, kind of free, and it is supported by the open source community. But if you're looking for something that is a replacement for Notepad, just a simple text-based thing, then Kate uh, is typically installed on computers that use the KDE desktop. Uh, LeafPad is typically installed, pre-installed on Linux distributions that use the XFCE or LXDE desktop because it's lighter weight. Uh, it's much, much more simple than some of the others. Atom is that you, that you mentioned is one that's developed specifically for uh, programmers and markup languages and that sort of thing. And the text editor that is pre-installed on desktops that use Mate is the Pluma desktop, P-L-U-M-A, which uh, is a a plain text editor with uh, the ability to add in features and plugins and so on that gives it the ability to do markup and uh, to to turn it into something that has more power for those programmers and uh, people who do HTML markup and and all other kinds of markup languages as well. So lots of functionality. Kate uh, has that same functionality available to it. I'm not so sure about LeafPad. Um, I'm thinking it's probably more bare bones and plain text editor yeah, kind of thing. I think, but I think it's you're right. really good. But I only use it for notes anyway. So <laughs> exactly. Yes. If you're just looking for a way to get rid of the fonts and the special characters and you just want it in plain text copy from let's say google docs and paste it into leafpad you'll get plain text <laughs> it's a very okay. simple way to do that you know what i'm just going to go ahead and just down what's uh i'm going to get uh, vim yeah i'll just use vim yeah. <laughs> Okay, not Emacs. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah. Well, there's a whole Vim Emacs thing. We're not. Uh, yeah, let's yeah. not get onto that one. No. Let's not get into that. Uh, yeah, right. lots of different text editors yeah. available. Yeah. But We're if just you want an Office Suite, LibreOffice, OpenOffice, all of those are, like I said, cross-platform. Very, very popular. Uh, primarily outside of those areas where the average population can afford Microsoft's licenses. Uh, and it's also popular amongst those people that use open source software. And there are a lot of uh, other office suites that take OpenOffice or LibreOffice and resell it, since it is open source, uh, as their own, like 
Uh, I think there's King Office or something like that. And oh, really? Yeah, so, some with kind of uh, strange names, and they do provide maybe a little, a few additional features. But they sell their software, but it's all based on LibreOffice or OpenOffice, and you you'll see that as soon as you open it up. Um, yeah, so lots of different uh, uh, possibilities there. But again, for someone just moving from Windows to Linux, stick with what's installed by default and yeah. most Linux distributions are going to pre-install LibreOffice these days. So uh, give it a try before you go saying, Oh, I've got to find a way to run Microsoft office or office 365. No, uh, give, give LibreOffice a try. You know, now Larry, I've have, I've, I've looking on the, uh, internet using my browser installed and I'm writing my letters, but you know, I also want to, do some communicating with my friends and stuff oh really wow wow you want to communicate with people um, yes am i <laughs> oh, out of luck okay. here uh yeah you just can't do that on no of course not. <laughs> you're not out of luck uh, <laughs> lots of different choices there as well um you there is a version of skype for linux um and as time goes by microsoft supports it less and less and a lot of the features don't work on Linux as they work on Windows. Uh, and even I found Skype for Macintosh, quite frankly, a lot of the features <laughs> don't work. So, you know, Microsoft That's a sore is subject. Keep... Yes, I know. Uh, but Skype is uh, one of those love-hate sorts of things. It works really well on Windows operating systems, but uh, if you don't have a Windows operating system, stay away from it is my recommendation. But there is a version for Linux that does kind of sort of maybe most of the time works. And uh, also lots of other alternatives. Discord is the one that you and I are using right now, Bill, to communicate with one another as we record this episode. Well. It does. And it also has recording features, which we're not using, but it um, has a lot of other chat features and chat room kinds of features. There's also Mumble, which uh, you have to have a hosted server for Mumble. One of the downsides of that. There are also... Lots of other uh, online possibilities as well, but uh, one of those should be able to get you started in that area. Okay, cool. So, Bill, as we think about um, communicating with others, what about entertainment, entertaining yourself? How about uh, music and videos and things like that? You can't do that on Linux anyway. Oh, yeah. oh I'm no, sorry. Yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> so... <laughs> No, you got. We have lots of. That's one of the areas that we have lots of choices. And you know, I like my jams when I'm playing Guild Wars Two on my Linux box when I'm killing imaginary monsters. So, uh, for sound playback, uh, and it's a big one for me, uh, is I, I like Rhythmbox, and uh, it comes in pre-installed Linux Mint, and I, I find it works well. But I also have used Clementine, which kind of reminds me of a kind of an Apple-esque. Uh, application, but it mm -hmm. sometimes gets a little uh, wonky for me. It's just probably because I'm doing things it doesn't want. And believe it or not, the old go-to VLC uh, will also play audio files. I usually just have that one doing my videos, uh, but I like um, I like Rhythmbox just because it's clean, simple, and I can my limited. Uh, you know, I just say play and it works. So I like Rhythmbox. Right. What do you use, Larry? 
Uh, well, I use what comes pre-installed on Ubuntu Mate, which is my distribution of choice. And so VLC comes pre-installed and Rhythmbox comes pre-installed. And those are the two that I use. Uh, I don't see any need to change. They work. You don't listen to music fine. anyway. Um, I do listen to music occasionally, but I'm usually too busy recording podcasts and videos and writing books and, and things uh, like that. And editing all the uh, errors out of the podcast. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. we're Now, it's kind of like a segue right into the, the next section is for audio recording. Audacity. Yeah. We use Audacity, yeah. but uh, there's a whole boatload of others, aren't there? Oh yeah, absolutely. Lots of lots of different ways to record audio. Audacity is probably the most popular across all platforms because it's available for Linux, Windows, and Mac. Uh, and you can use something as simple as Audacity or something as sophisticated as, let's say, OBS, which also lets you broadcast video and other things. It's basically a studio in a box. Uh, lots of uh, options, and again, uh, Audacity doesn't come pre-installed on most Linux distributions unless you go to something like um, uh, Ubuntu Studio, uh, but it is definitely the easiest, in my opinion, the easiest to learn that has a lot of functionality built in that lets you not only record your audio, but clean it up, like get rid of noise, uh, uh, reduce um, background noise, eliminate uh, uh, some artifacts in the audio and, and boost the volume if you need to do that, uh, smooth out the, the rough spots in your audio, lots lots of different things. And of course, edit out the stuff you want to take out. Um, lot, lots of different functions there. And it's very sophisticated in the way it works, but it's very easy to use for the average user of software. Yeah, I, I'll tell you a little secret, Larry. I know there's a, a little uh, radio station that's near me that's a little small non-profit one. And uh, they uh, had a, um, a proprietary recording system. They would, you know, when they, people come in, they do their interviews. And apparently the company wanted to charge them a massive license fee to use this audio recording and i just happened to mention that audacity is free and it works great and that's what they're using now they told the other company to, to uh no thank you we won't take your license we'll just use the free version and it worked and it actually sounds better not that i'm excited <laughs> about that uh, uh yeah yeah and and speaking of uh radio stations there's this nice open source application called rivendell that was developed by uh some um, radio station kinds of people. And we've actually looked into that. Uh, we were going to do an episode on it. That kind of has gone by the wayside. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. maybe sometime in the future, we will we'll actually do that. And I've, I've been looking at, or I've been thinking about, not looking at, I've been thinking about looking at Rivendell as a way of recording the podcast and maybe huh. adding some more functionality. But uh, it requires some significant uh learning <laughs> you know i've been using uh audacity for more than 15 years now so yeah <laughs> old old habits die hard the next one we need to cover is say we got a we got the audio music covered and we got the recording covered but we definitely need to talk about the video 
and video playback, especially in Linux Mint and I believe also Ubuntu Mate, uh, you can have where it will play your DVDs and files and stuff, and you kind of need um, a program to play it. So the, the one that comes installed uh, for most of them, if they're using a GNOME-based um, uh, desktop, would be GNOME Player, but they sometimes call it Media Player. It just depends. Um, but also my choice that just it's like bulletproof it works 99.9 percent .9 of the time is VLC. I use VLC to play my uh, video files and my DVD files, uh, and uh, I actually have a you know USB um, uh, DVD player because my of course the alien they're doing away with the 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 built-in DVDs now. Uh, so I can hook it up and it plays everything great. So I don't know what you use, but VLC just works perfectly for that. Yeah, VLC works perfectly. And for anything that I had on audio CDs, I've made an ISO image of those uh, audio recordings. Mm -hmm. uh, and that ISO image, I then mount and just play it from that ISO file as though it were a mounted uh, DVD. Aren't you clever? I didn't think of that. Yeah, you can do that, and then you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, the the DVDs themselves uh, flaking, because they do wear out after a while, and the the the, uh, uh, the inside guts that the recording is made on flakes off, and uh, you can, uh. can't play them anymore. So I started it as a way of backing them up, and then thought, why, why am I putting them in to a DVD player? Uh, and then when I got the XPS 13, of course, it doesn't have any sort of DVD player. It just uh, kind of solidified the fact that I need to be running these digitally. And I could take them and record them as audio files and then just play them. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's, yeah, why not just make an ISO? And, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, lots, lots of different ways to do that as well. And playing the back VLC for video is, is a great way to do that. And media player, like you said, uh, comes on yeah. most, uh, GNOME based Linux distributions. Another thing you might want to do is make screenshots, especially if you are a, uh, uh, someone like me who documents how to do things on your computer, taking screenshots and, uh, Annotating them and providing them with a blog post that describes how to do something is kind of what we do. So with Linux, uh, you can take screenshots with something called Shutter. Of, of course, you know, there's, there's always the screen capture that's built in to your Linux distribution and much like yeah. with uh, Windows, at least, not so much with a Mac where you have to contort your hand to, to press five keys at the same time to take a screenshot. Um, on Windows, you press the print screen button, if your computer has one, and uh, it takes a screenshot. Well, most Linux distributions enable that as part of their built-in screenshot capabilities. And if not, then there's a key combination that you can use. But if you want to be able to have an application that not only allows you to capture the, the whole screen or a section of the screen or, you know, do uh, a recording of the screen, Shutter allows you to do that and gives you an application that allows you to edit the screenshots as well. 
allows you to annotate them and then save them to your hard drive. And then you can, of course, put them wherever you need to put them for your, uh, for your blog or your documentation. Very easy to use. Uh, you also have the other tools like GIMP, which gives you much, much, much more editing capabilities. Um, things like, uh, masks and color management and lots of different tools. Blender, Inkscape, which is uh, taking it not only as bitmaps, but as uh, vector drawings and things like that. Uh, all kinds of image types and files you can uh, can manage with those applications and more. Just look in your distributions repositories for those kinds of things. And if you've been using something like Adobe's suite of creative tools, uh, you you won't be able to use those on Linux, but you will find alternatives for them that have, if not the same functionality, then very close to it. And in some cases, they don't have exactly the same functionality, but they have most of it, and they have some features that aren't available in the Adobe suite, unless you pay lots of money and get different applications to do different things. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, this is by no means an exhaustive list. Uh, there are others that, you know, other programs you can look for that can be found in the repositories. One thing about Linux is you have lots of choices, and we haven't even scratched the you know, tip of the iceberg here. So Yeah, we've just covered the basics. Half the fun is finding out what works best for you. I've found programs going, oh, my goodness, this is great. I'd like this uh, so much better and been using it, and I love it. And other times it's like, uh, let me try this. No, this this program is not that great. Let me just go back to what I was using. So it's like uh, you get to go treasure hunt for what works for you. But that's one of the beauties of of Linux. There's so many choices, and you know something simple, you know that works great for you might not be great for someone else. So you have lots of choices. Is what we're trying to say. So. Larry, do you have any other program suggestions that you might want to share that you use? Uh, well, my use case is a little unique in that I'm a podcaster and a software <laughs> consultant. And so my what, what I use may not be what everyone else would want to use. But some of the things that are, of course, my favorites, uh, if you want to be able to define your own shortcuts uh, that do more than just uh, start a program or paste some some text you've predefined. Uh, you can use programs like AutoKey uh, that has a lot of functionality. You can uh, not only predefine phrases or entire uh, paragraphs or entire emails if you want to, so that if you uh, type a few letters, uh, it will replace those few letters with an entire paragraph or an entire email. You can script it so that it uh, does multiple functions as well. So something to look into. That's one of my my favorites there. Caffeine, which keeps your screen alive just so that it doesn't go blank on you, which is very handy when you're recording a podcast. <laughs> uh, ca caffeine is the kind of application that is available on the Mac. I don't know whether it's available for Windows as well, but it's it's very unique utility a lot of what I use actually is, you know, I just use what's built into Ubuntu Mate. Oh, um, Synergy, one of my favorite uh, applications, allows me to uh, use a single keyboard and a single mouse across multiple computers, regardless of whether they're Windows, Linux, or Mac. 
Um, simple note. Simple note is a note taking application that allows you to do markups and so on, as well as oh, just okay. text uh, editing. Um, not uh, not open source, as far as I know. Uh, for recording videos, a uh, simple screen recorder is the recording application that I use there. And uh, let's see, I, I use Audacity to record the audio part of the, the screen recordings that I do. So the video uh, tutorials and so on that I do, I use simple screen recorder for the video part and Audacity for the audio part. R-Sync for doing backups. I'm just scrolling through my list of menus here and... Yeah, I could, I could go on and on, but lots of lots of different utilities and specialized packages that I use. But like I said, most most of what I use, I use right out of the box in Ubuntu Mate, like LibreOffice and Chrome and things like that. Yeah, I uh, I use Wine to play my games. <laughs> okay, all right. Hey. hey, it's important. Okay, that's what the computer's designed for. And, and, you know, something that you might look into for games these days is, uh, especially if you're using an Ubuntu-based distribution, as, you, as I know you are, uh, is to look at snapcraft.io. Uh, a lot of games are now starting to be put into snap packages, which oh, bundles yes. in a pre-configured version of wine or whatever other things you need to make it run well. They don't have some of the latest games in there, of course, and, and much of what's being done on Snap Packages is is kind of early early days. But mm-hmm. take a look in there and, and things, you'd be surprised what, what games are in there that uh, work just nicely as Snap Packages right on Linux and they're optimized to work so uh not a bad experience from what i understand well you know what bill will be doing after the podcast i'll be looking at these <laughs> games. oh me no i'll be uh, writing a letter yeah that's it a report yeah yeah yeah, yeah. there you go <laughs> yeah. a report for work so <laughs> <laughs> never mind all right uh anything you want to suggest or describe or mm. what do you use bill i basically use wine <laughs> <laughs> spend all That's your it. days gaming uh well yeah. i mean come on you know no i i use LibreOffice for my like work like i said um i use chrome for my browser i sometimes keep firefox in opera i, I kind of have a to love hate relationship with opera as a general rule like uh, i use reason i like uh chrome i mean it works on firefox too is that you know if i want to watch a movie on netflix it works um mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the um, websites now uh, work flawlessly with uh, Chrome because it is a majority browser. And, you know, for a while, it's gotten much, much better. I hated Firefox. Uh, it, it's also love-hate. It was uh, – I used to Firefox for a long time, and then it just seemed so slow compared to the others. And then I went to Chrome. But I always keep a Firefox because it's pretty much – uh, a bulletproof browser that will work when everything else seems to explode. Um, so I, I keep multiple browsers just because I'm weird. Um, but basically, I, I like uh, I've used Play uh, on Linux, which uh, is a it, it, I don't, I've had good success and I've had success with it causing uh, 
me headaches, but it's basically an automated system to help you install um, the uh, games that maybe are not in Snap Packages or whatever. But I found that if you have a game like Guild Wars, and thank you to that person again who gave me the little work, uh, that little package to get my game running better. Uh, there's so many uh, guides on how to get something installed and played. It's really not an issue anymore. Uh, I'm kind of boring, uh, but I know that you can play Battlefield uh, 4 on it. You can play, um, uh, of course, Guild Wars. You can play WoW. Um, so you have lots of options. Uh, I'm sure there's some that just don't doesn't like the run, and that's mainly I think from a programming uh, standpoint. But that's just just me. But yeah, I'm more of a gamer type of thing. But that's just uh, you know a that's just me. Larry likes to do real work. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say? Maybe, you know, I'm getting pretty close to the end of the podcast. So what do you think? Yeah. So if uh, any of our listeners have any suggestions or ideas on what uh, they use to, you know, under Linux to get things done, let us know. And if you have suggestions on applications that you like, that either you just want to mention that this is a good application or you'd like us to review uh, send us a note, and you can do that by email. You can do that on Google Plus. Oh wait, no, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that. not. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, so yeah, give us your suggestions, and uh, yeah, it, it, please, we'd like to hear what you use because Bill and I are kind of strange cases. Bill just goes to work and comes home and plays games, and I'm recording <laughs> podcasts all the time, and. You know, different, different kind of people. So we'd like to look, we, we'd like to hear from regular people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, regular people. Uh, I'm yeah. definitely strange, but I do have an application pick. Uh, and Oh, okay. Yeah, I am uh, back in the olden days. Mm -hmm. uh, I loved <laughs> IRC chat. And uh uh, there was a program on Windows called MIRC. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Larry. It was my favorite. You had to pay for it. It wasn't very much, but I loved how it was set up and everything. And I was like, man, I, I've looked through all these IRCs and um, the clients, and I didn't find one until I ran across one that was installed in Linux Mint called HexChat. And I just opened right. up, and it's it's just like – exact clone of MRS, uh, MIRC, so I'm running around going, oh, I love this, and uh, you know, I was connecting <laughs> with some old friends, and and uh, and you know, you think that I had been given a hundred dollars and uh, the the keys to the city? I was like, woohoo! I know I'm weird, but IRC has always had a special place in my heart because of before. All these newfangled Google Plus. Oh, sorry, shouldn't have mentioned that one. Or <laughs> Face. Well, shouldn't mention that one either. Anyway, um, IRC was in way uh, was one of the ways that people could uh, 
talk to each other and there's chat rooms and communities that build around it and uh, so and also it helped me build my typing speed and also uh, grammar and stuff like that and if you've listened to any podcast you know that's I can murder just about any word I want to say so <laughs> IRC uh, uh, is one of my favorite things to kind of do to catch up with people that I've known for years and uh, Hex chat is just a great, nice, clean. I would say, um, if you didn't know, if you didn't look at the name, I, I almost swear that it's M I M I R C, a clone. So it works yeah, well. Yeah. It's fast. I like it. Do you have an application to pick, or am I the only one today? Well, I I gave a whole bunch of application picks when we oh, were so talking that's about how, that's, So that's how you're going to get out of that. Okay. Well, le- okay. Let me let me pick. Um, Shotcut, one I didn't mention. Uh, I mentioned that I use uh, a specific program for recording video. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way I edit it, um, I used to use a proprietary version of uh, a video editor. And I've now switched to Shotcut because it has almost all of the features of that proprietary version. Less hassle setting up. It's available to install from the Ubuntu Mate repositories or from the Ubuntu repositories, perhaps. Either way, it's available and uh, it installs. It works beautifully. It doesn't crash like the proprietary uh, application (laughs) did. Uh, And uh, I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, I I wanted to comment on HexChat. We're going to provide a link to uh, HexChat in our show notes. And when you go there, it's a GitHub uh, repository link, um, and you look at the uh, uh, the page where it allows you to download. It gives you um, a, a way to download it for Windows 10, uh, a way to download it for 64-bit Windows 7 and 32-bit Windows 7. Uh, it's available as a flat pack and in the Snap Store, and the source code. But I have to say, if you want HexChat and you're using Linux, look at the repositories, look at the software library that came with your Linux distribution. It'll be there. And if it's not, go uh, complain. Uh, But it's in the Linux repositories. You can install it. It's already got for um, the Debian distributions that are based on, on Ubuntu. It's already there with the Ubuntu packages. And of course, you know, like I just said, you can install it from the Snap Store quite easily there as well. But uh, I'm surprised that they don't have uh, anything on their download page that specifically gives you the packages for downloading for uh, the various versions of Linux. It's it's very popular. Uh, hmm. And this thing seems to be focused a little more around Windows and uh, Flatpaks and Snap packages but uh hex chat from what i understand there's a version for for mac os as well and uh you know it's uh it's cross-platform so give it a try but first check in your repositories that's the easiest and quickest way to get it always try to get your software from the repositories as we've preached over and over and over or not preach we've recommended highly how's that yeah either way (laughs) yeah okay so uh, what's our next episode, Larry? It will be a listener feedback episode, as is our regular rotation between these user experience episodes and listener feedback episodes. So, listener feedback. 
Okay, until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. Uh, at this point, we would normally say, if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful Google Plus members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast Google Plus community. Since, well, since Google Plus is being killed off by Google, we are developing an alternative until it's ready. And as long as Google Plus remains up, we'll continue to use it. Yep. And if you have suggestions on what we could use, give us some suggestions, although we're yes. moving down the path of maybe some forum software. Yes. Anyway, but if you have a preference, let us know. So until next time, thanks for listening. 73. music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.